Hey, Jackie. It's day 8,025 of the <laughs> pandemic. Where are we at? I don't even know. I've lost. I'll tell you where we're at. We're still in lockdown. <laughs> Things are getting a little tense. <laughs> oh, well. But yeah. we have a great, like we had a great night. I mean, it was so refreshing to bring Jerry DePiano into our Zoom call in our bedrooms and living rooms, wherever we are doing this from, and uh, having her enlighten us with some incredible information on this episode tonight. Yeah, I actually wanted to call her Big G. I know she's uh, <laughs> she's known as G or Jerry as well, um, but I want to call her Big G because she has done so many big things for women in healthcare, and I found her so inspiring. Um, Jerry's uh, the CEO of Fem Pharma, and she's got 30 years experience in healthcare. She's got like a list of accolades, like an arm's length long. She's, you know, she's just one of those women who cares about other women. And she, we, she had so much to tell us. Yeah, she is a real firecracker. And I think it's really great if you're listening to this podcast, you know, you know that there's products out there that are targeted towards women, but, you know, not always tested on women. And it was so great to hear Jerry talk about her product development experience. Some really great, like, spoiler alert, what it sounds like in a boardroom for menopause product development when there's 80% men in the boardroom. So you really <laughs> going to want to hear that part. Um, but just basically like she is someone who, who obviously gets it, but she doesn't just get it. She's paying it forward and she's really super sharp. And I, I really loved what she had to say. It was very inspiring to hear that, you know, we're trending towards more understanding of menopause and that we're going to see more and more products and solutions for women in this space. I think like, I, I am very excited. It was such a great conversation. Yes. So listeners, please listen to this amazing podcast with Jerry DePiano. <laughs> Welcome, Jerry. Thank you so much for taking time tonight to speak with us. Um, when Jack and I started She 2.0, we were so frustrated with the lack of resources and information available to us um, around menopause. And now that we've been on this journey together for about a year, we've uncovered so much um, that we didn't know. But the other wonderful—I can't even talk today. But the other wonderful thing is meeting some truly inspiring women and trailblazers who are making a point. Um, that women's health care is important and you're one of those women and we're so grateful that you're here to talk to us today and share some of your knowledge with us. Thanks. Um, your resume is so impressive. You've got 30 plus years in healthcare, um, a long list of accolades and you're the founder and CEO of Fem Pharma. Can you talk to us a little bit about the road that led you here and why you started Fem Pharma? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, this is, this has been a long journey, as you indicated. So my career started in multinational pharma companies. I won't even mention the names, but there were four very large multinational companies that I worked with. 
and it was um, I had some really interesting mentoring opportunities there. So I won't say that the experience didn't give me some good grounding and good foundation to become an entrepreneur because I learned a ton while I was working in the multinationals. And as we know, they do good work, right? The vaccines that we have seen launched in the last four weeks are evidence that big pharma does wonderful work. And so does biopharma, by the way. The one area where I observed that things were lacking was really in the area of gender-based medicine and specifically women's healthcare. Now I had worked for one of the giants in women's healthcare and we made our business on two areas, contraception and hormone replacement therapy. Wow. And that was, yes, I'm taking a, re I'm taking a deep breath here because <laughs> we know that women's health is way broader than mm -hmm. just either having babies, not having babies. So you want to get pregnant or you don't want to get pregnant. And then when you enter menopause, it's not about putting more hormones in our bodies necessarily. That's not to say that hormones are all bad. I'm not going to indict hormones. But they're not the most benign way in which to address things like menopause, right? Symptoms of menopause. If they work for you, that's fantastic. But it shouldn't be the only option that women have. That's right. While I was working in the field of women's health in the multinationals, I started looking at all the different diseases and disorders that disproportionately affect women. And I thought, well, what about these conditions? And when, where there were opportunities, so where there were therapeutics or where there was symptom relief, oftentimes they put a woman in a quandary. So it was the symptoms, or I should say the condition, may not be as bad as the treatment itself. So side effects mm -hmm. were oftentimes the reason that women couldn't comply, or if, they, or if women were having side effects from some of the therapeutic approaches, let's just add another drug. So what if she has constipation because she's using an overactive bladder drug? So what's wrong with that? So now she's constipated. Or she has dry mouth, so she drinks more. And so it became a, so it was a vicious cycle. And so when I sat back and I reflected on this, and then more importantly, when I looked at the number of diseases and disorders that disproportionately affect women, I thought, wait a minute, what am I doing working in big pharma? I should just go out on my own and start my own women's healthcare company. Wow. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> now, at the time, I had a one-year-old. Oh, oh my God. My husband, my husband had just lost his job. We second mortgaged our house and I wrote a check from our personal checkbook to start the first Femme Pharma. Oh my God. So um, it, it, it was, as you might imagine, people thinking she must be out of her mind. Yes. Oh my God. And I, you're and so brave. To, Never mind, you're out of your mind. There's a little mania involved when you start something from scratch. Yeah. But reflecting back on those years, I don't regret it at all um, because I feel that, you know, this was, you know, not a legacy I wanted to leave for my own daughter, um, who's now in her 20s. Um, I wonder, I really want to do something different and I wanted to try to make a difference and hopefully I will. And hopefully I have made a difference. Yeah. That is such a 
well, I'm going to say a brave move, but as a woman who's benefiting from your experience, that's a heroic move. <laughs> and especially with a one-year-old at home, I, I, I can't even imagine how you did all that, especially with the stress that would have been surrounding you as well. But we're really glad that you did because, you know, you're talking to us from the U.S. We're here in Canada and Ramona and I have found through our own journey that there's so many gaps gaps in knowledge, gaps in research, and gaps in products. We're starting to see more and more brands um, stepping up to the plate now to go into product development for women in menopause. But we just feel like there's so much work to be done. And it, it seems like such a last minute step right now. I mean, women have forever been going through menopause. Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, so when we when we look at some of the companies that have sprung up in what we call femtech, we've we've actually made a lot of progress. So in the last ten years, we've actually made a lot of progress in what, what is referred to now as femtech. And you see, you've seen companies that emerge, but mostly in the fertility space or mm -hmm. in um, the area of you know how we how we handle pregnancy and and thinking about ways to make contraceptives more accessible. And that's wonderful. I am so mm -hmm. excited for that. The problem is, and it's really the also the opportunity. There are 25 million women each year who enter menopause. Mm -hmm. And while you think about women in menopause, some, some individuals think erroneously that it's an old woman's problem. Yes. It's not an old woman's problem. That's right. The so women may enter menopause or perimenopause when they're in their late 30s, early 40s. Others may enter in their 50s. But it's not an old woman's condition. And by the way, some women enter menopause or experience menopausal symptoms because they are in chemical menopause. So perhaps they have cancer or they have an autoimmune disease and the side effects from treatment place them into chemical menopause. Women who, are, who have endometriosis, as an example, are in chemical menopause as a function of the treatment that they're receiving. So they do need to have some symptom relief. And the answer isn't always add one more drug, add one more prescription product. But what's really happened is we call it the tsunami. So this is my fem, my fem pharma term is the tsunami of menopause. So women who are over the or 40 and above start to experience some of these perimenopausal symptoms. And they want to have some way in which to address it. And numbers, the numbers speak volumes because it really then brings into, into the conversation what is the value? What is the power in that number? And then the power is enormous. Women who are 40 plus have an enormous amount of power, financial power, wisdom, and those things have started to change the dynamic. And now we are seeing more entrance in the menopause space. And I am so excited for that. Mm -hmm. So are we. Yes, very. <laughs> um, have you seen like a really big shift though from when, like I, I imagine you have, but I'd love to hear more about like how things have changed. Like was menopause even talked about 30 years ago when you started your business? Like, I'm just curious to know how women's health issues in particular, whether it be contraception or menopause or whatever, 
how things have changed in the conversation and the type of business that you do from back then to now? So there was, um, so when I worked at one of my multinational companies, I worked in new product development and it was a company that had a very significant franchise in menopause. They had hormone replacement therapy. The name of that company shall remain unnamed <laughs> at this point. Um, and you'd sit around the table and the only thing that the um, individuals would talk about, now I will say that they were eight out of 10 were men. Wow. I dry vaginas and they joke about it. They oh. would joke about it. And then they would talk about, you know, the crazy mood swings and um, the lack of the decline in testosterone. And I remember when one of our senior executives said that he wished he could wrap his wife in a patch with testosterone, thinking that it enhance <sighs> her libido. How did you even like, how did you even survive this? I'm just like, all I'm thinking is how I would have been fired, like within the first week of going crazy on these people. Um, and how HR wasn't in the room. You know, we could, we could get into the, some of the anecdotes around uh, when I was pregnant and um, those same individuals uh, figured out after I was eight months pregnant that the that my waistline was expanding because I was pregnant, not because I had a, you know something else going on, like that I had gained. <laughs> and I remember <sighs> saying to one of the senior executives, um, I said, well, I'm expecting. He said, well, where's the baby? And I, and I pointed to my uterus. <laughs> I said, well, it's right here, it's in my uterus. And it, it was like I, I said a dirty word and I said, yes, it's in my uterus. He said, well, I had heard somewhere, this is no lie, that you had gotten knocked up. Oh my God. Oh my God. So, oh. so, so, the, so the conversations were very um, male-dominated, male-oriented. Um, and we always referred to um, organizations um, who think they are very sensitive to women's health and women's issues as paternal, um, having paternal benevolence. They want to. They wanted to protect us. Oh my God! It's like the madmen of menopause. It was, <laughs> it was the madmen of a lot of things. Madmen of menopause. Madmen of pregnancy. Madmen yeah. of infertility. Wow. So it really, the lack of understanding in women's health care in male-dominated organizations was pretty profound. Mm -hmm. And that has, that has changed. I will say that in our organization, we have worked with men and women. And I always say that the men are Renaissance guys, but I believe we have taught them a lot mm -hmm. about yeah. women's health care. And so that's enhanced their understanding of what women really are experiencing and why it is not okay to continue to subject women to one more one more prescription drug that works it works this what we call systemically so it affects every organ in the body but doesn't really attack the area where there is a symptom so individual symptom relief is more important right so if you have vaginal dryness you may be more benefited by working right in that region and addressing that problem if you have a sleep disorder that may require you to do something different. That's that being something that's more systemic. By the way, 
You don't need to give the same dose of a sleep medication to a 110 pound woman as you would a 180 pound man. So let's think about how you dose and how you provide a dosing right. regimen. And the same thing applies when you think about a menopausal woman, right? So you think yeah. about the individual symptoms of menopause and how you can best address those in the most benign way. Mm -hmm. And so that has, that's changed over the years because everything in the past was really focused on just give her a pill. You know, she's menopausal. She can't, you know, she can't conceive. She's stopped bleeding. So we can't, we can't do anything about that. She's probably dry in her intimate area and in her vagina and vulva. But you know, a pill will solve all those problems. So just give her a pill and send her on her way. And if she doesn't want to use a pill or a patch containing hormones, then we can't help you. So you're an old lady, get used to it. Yeah. And, and that and that has changed over the years. And I've seen that evolution, but it has taken way too long. And we've also seen in this space, in the menopause space, women leaders. So, and that is a difference. So if you look at who's leading companies in this space, mm -hmm. they are women at the C level. Right. Sometimes women like the two of you, right, who have forged out on your own, who are trailblazing, who are doing what you do to share knowledge. Mm -hmm. And in other cases, there are CEOs, many of whom I've had conversations with, not just in the United States, but globally. Mm -hmm. So just last week, I had a conversation with the CEO of a company in the UK. Two women started the company. They focused primarily on menopause. And that is changing the dynamic. Good. Yeah. I think that dynamic has to change in order to help obliterate the stigma. You know, the more that we see women who can speak intelligently about menopause and give hope to other women, I think that's when the conversation opens up a lot more. I think it's when we feel that sort of shaming where women shy away from the topic, they don't want to talk about it or, you know, you get men around the table talking about it in those terms, you know, we can laugh and say how foolish of them, but it does make us a little bit squeamish to talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, you know, we, we often open up when, um, when we're together with other women, but mm -hmm. that's, you know, in, you know, a casual conversation, you know, on a walk at a cocktail party and, and women tend to gather. I say they, they gather around the well, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. And all it takes is one woman to be vulnerable, right? And mm -hmm. I think that, that that's really the bottom line is when one woman is vulnerable and she says, hey, look, I haven't had sex with my husband in three years. And, and another woman looks at her and said, oh my God, it's <laughs> only three years? <laughs> Three years, <laughs> you know, and 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 you know, then another woman speaks up and says, "Well, you know, my doctor told me when I went in for my annual pelvic that it's because I have a condition, and that condition is as a function of declining estrogen, and now." I, I, I feel sore. I feel pain. So I don't want to have intercourse. It's not that I don't love my partner, mm -hmm. but I don't want to have intercourse because it really hurts. 
Yeah. I feel sore or it's itching and it's burning and, or maybe she has an overactive bladder. And so, and she says, gee, you know, I have bladder leakage and I'm afraid I'm going to pee my pants or pee myself when, you know, when, when there's pressure exerted during intercourse. So, so women engage in these conversations and once they start to be a little bit more vulnerable with each other. It, it actually enlarges the opportunity to think through with, with other women, what can be done about it, destigmatizes it. Everybody's got a story. Every yeah. woman has a story. And it's important to share those stories. You're not alone, right? And, and I believe that that is also something that's changed and it's really changing as a function of Gen Xers. So Gen Xers are actually more willing to be open about these these concerns, mm-hmm. I don't know there's menopause. I hate to say it, but you know the um, my mom never told me about menopause. Yeah, me neither. And I, me neither. I know her mother did it because she was you know born in Italy and in a small village, and I'm sure no one shared those sorts of stories. It was just, oh well, no. you're 45 years old, <laughs> you're in menopause. Yes. Life is over. You can't have babies anymore. So life is over. Deal with it. Yeah. And, and a 45-year-old today, it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm at the best phase of my life. You know, life, you know, life starts all over again. Wow, this is really great. I don't have to worry about my period anymore. I don't have to worry about using contraceptives. Now all I need to do is deal with my individual symptoms. But by the way, I don't like what I'm seeing. I'm not using hormones. I want to use a more natural means by which to address my symptoms. Mm-hmm. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to watch my what I eat. I'm going to think about my um, intimate intimacy issues, and I'm going to address those issues with my partner. And maybe I'm going to be op- more open about, hey, I don't really enjoy this anymore. I need you to cooperate with me. So it's that yeah. conversation with partners that they're more willing to have. So those are, those are some of the dynamics that we see playing out. Women are asking and demanding for something better than what their moms had. That's yes. exactly right. I mean, this is why we started the conversation as well, because, I mean, immediately when we did, we are constantly getting notes from listeners saying, thank you, where were you 10 years ago, or thank you. <laughs> I, you know, I started taking this, you know, B12 because, you know, I listened to your show or I've been using this product because I listened to your show and it's really helped me. And, and it, we've noticed like women now are kind of coming out of the woodwork and being starting to be more comfortable about the conversation because it, before it felt like this dirty little secret. And a lot of us are suffering in silence. And as you say, not everybody is in menopause, that's in menopause is this like old decrepit woman. Most of us are, you know, at at, at the highlights of our careers, we're running, you know, we have, you know, a family or we're taking care of aging parents. Um, We've got a lot on the go. Um, And some of us are in menopause, like you said, because we've got, you know, other gynecological issues that we're dealing with. Myself, I am a cancer survivor. I removed my ovaries before I was 40. And I was totally ill-prepared for all the wacky side effects that come with menopause. Like you say, you know, everybody thinks it's like hot flashes and maybe, you know, you don't have 
babies anymore, but there's so much more involved and everybody's journey is different and we need to start talking about it so women can be more prepared. I also think there's a really big gap in knowledge and Jerry, I wonder if you, well, FM Pharma has done such a great job through your website and all your content of informing women and I highly recommend everybody go check it out to learn. Um, but, you know, we, when we talk about menopause, I think women kind of um, in our sort of circle go from being fertile right to menopause. You throw the word perimenopause in and you get some really confused looks because perimenopause is something we find a lot of women don't really understand and they didn't realize there was this sort of transition into menopause and and perimenopause is really where Ramona and I like to focus because we think that's the runway to menopause and this is where you have the opportunity to change the experience and Absolutely. it's important for women to know that you know, we bring experts like yourself on for every episode because it's important for women to know that there are options. Um, you know, both Ramona and I feel like we were basically told by our our doctors to just power through it. It is what it is. But we know it doesn't have to suck. We know that we've done our own research on this journey and we've made um, big strides in our own health to minimize the symptoms and to have a better grasp of it. It's, it's, it's really important, and, and I, I know that you use the word transition, and it's a word that we use at Femme Pharma a lot, because it, that's really what we're talking about here. You know, it, it was, you know, the, in the old vernacular, women would talk about the change. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it, in a way, it is the change, but the change happens gradually. The transition happens gradually. So when women start to experience a decline in estrogen, they may have erratic, an erratic menstrual cycle as an example. Mm -hmm. So one month, they may not have a menstrual cycle at all. The next month, they may have excessive bleeding, mm -hmm. and it may go on for an extended period of time. They may start to have what they perceive as just a, a night where they wake up and they, you know, they think they have a night sweat. What's wrong with me? Could be the beginning of a hot flash, right? So they, they start to experience these symptoms, these menopausal symptoms gradually until they have a cessation, a menstruation for an extended period of time, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when, that's sort of the, the line of demarcation when they, they know, okay, it's been six months or more since I've had a menstrual cycle. And that's, that probably means I am menopausal. Mm -hmm. But leading up to that, that, that period of time, right, from when they start to experience some of these other symptoms in the transition to menopause may take several years. Now, that is unless you are in chemical menopause. So as you describe, Ramona, um, we work with a number of individuals who are breast cancer survivors, and they describe going into menopause almost overnight, right? So ovaries removed or they end up on some form of therapeutic and that, you know, suppresses estrogen. And there really isn't much of a transition at all. And, and the, the symptoms right. can be pretty profound. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons, the major reasons that we, we wanted to develop our first product um, for the vaginal and vulvar symptoms of menopause 
was because we heard complaints from cancer survivors who said, my God, you know, I'm 30 something years old and I was just diagnosed with breast cancer. I've had my ovaries removed and I, I can't enjoy intimacy anymore. I feel dry, I feel pain. Um, they were looking at various procedures, which were pretty aggressive procedures, um, yeah. as interventions in order to address those symptoms. And we said, wait a minute, we can do something that gives them the quality of life they deserve without the compromise. And the compromise was, you know, doing something that's more invasive, spending a lot of money to have a procedure performed after you've been through so much, you know, you're, you're, you're a survivor. It's, it's really not fair yeah. to have to experience more after what you've been through already. So how do we find a benign way to do this? We actually used one of our um, existing formulations for one of our prescription products um, we use the excipients, so the non-active ingredients, mm -hmm. um, in a low volume to develop a series of products that don't leak, they don't trip, and they're not messy. Imagine that. You don't have to wear yeah. a hat. <laughs> um, and, it was, and it was really to have women, um, and, and again, first and foremost, we thought about cancer survivors um, who said, listen, these are young, vibrant women who deserve more from life than what they were handed. So, um, so that was the impetus behind developing that first product. Now, obviously, this is, these are products that can be used by any woman that's in menopause. Yeah. Jerry, I have a question about the product development. Um, I know that in some previous research that we had done, we have learned, and I think this is pretty common knowledge, that women... Um, are really difficult to test product on, do research on because our cycles change so much. Um, I believe the the story that kind of brought this to light for me was Advil or Tylenol, developed for women because we suffer from migraines more, but they couldn't test it on women because of that fluctuating cycle. So it was tested on men and went to market kind of like what you had said earlier, at the same dosage that the men who were being tested the dose that they were um, responding to, and then it was too much for us. Um, it sounds to me like Femme Pharma is developing products for women, finally understanding all the needs and the changes in our cycle, but how are you, how does the product development get around that, that tricky issue of our cycle? So um, when, when we think about how drugs are, are actually pres prescription products and in the, in the consumer side of our business, obviously, you know, this is really focused primarily on menopause. So there isn't really the concern around cycles, but you're absolutely correct. Um, it's the, going back to the term that I used previously, which is the paternal benevolence. We didn't want to expose women, particularly women in their reproductive years, to potential side effects or the or because it might impair their fertility or it might expose the you know potential unborn child to some uncertain side effects so instead studies were populated with men even though conditions were disproportionately affecting women that has that has changed over the years. So the, at least in the United States, the Office of Women's Health at the US FDA has made strides to go back and look at um, how the incidence and prevalence of diseases, right, 
should impact the drug development. So you want to make sure that studies are populated with the appropriate members of both genders, right? Mm-hmm. That's um, or right or it's be, and and that would take into consideration things like the cyclical nature of women who are, are not necessarily in menopause who are in their reproductive age group cohort. Okay. So a little bit about your products. Can you tell us a bit? Unfortunately, and, and we should tell our listeners, we're in Canada, you're in the US. Um, we know that the Fem Pharma products are not available to our Canadian audience yet. But can you tell us a little bit about the products that um, you have developed and how they help women? Just give sure. us a little bit of hope. <laughs> yes. So, um, so the products that we developed, as I mentioned, um, we have um, had prescription products that we have developed over the years in areas like endometriosis and breast disease and overactive bladder. And it was during one of our studies of overactive bladder that we really had the light bulb moment um, because we had a number of women who entered our clinical trial who had some abrasions and lesions and so forth. And we, we were concerned about that, right? So again, remembering that the incidence and prevalence of that condition was impacting women who were really in the transition or possibly in menopause, so women over the age of 40. So was it unusual to anticipate that you would see some of this vaginal dryness, vulvar dryness, pain, burning, and itching? And what we noticed um, while these women were in the study, they began to improve. And the reason that they improved, so we were administering um, a product intravaginally. Um, It was the inactive ingredient that had had an effect on the improvement in vaginal symptoms. And so we, we said, wait a minute, there is probably a reason to take this forward. So we spent a couple of years optimizing this formulation that does not have any active ingredient in it. So it's Mm -hmm. hyaluronic acid and vitamin E. Those are the two principal ingredients. It comes in a very, very small volume and it's a, you can administer it intravaginally with a pre-filled applicator, the small volume and the fact that it's very, very thick means that it doesn't leak. And that's Mm -hmm. really been a feature of any of the products that we have developed over time. So we consider ourselves experts in what we call regional targeted delivery, which is Mm -hmm. a way of saying that if you have a problem in your breast, we don't want you to put a patch on. We don't want it to go through your and and expose all of your organs in your body. We want to minimize the amount of exposure to all of your other organs. Same thing applies to anything that's in the pelvic and reproductive organs. So if it's below the belt, you want to try to keep it confined to that region and not see it spread to other regions. And you also don't need a lot. So I know guys, you know, are always, you know, thinking about size. (laughs) (laughs) With with women, the vagina is only so big. It can't hold a lot of anything, right? So if you put a lot of material in that small space, it's going to leak out. And we knew that. And so when, when we developed these products, we said, listen, we want something that stays where it's meant to stay in that tiny little space, right? 
and and we wanted to adhere for a period of time so you don't have to do it multiple times nobody wants to administer anything more than once a day yeah so the feature of all of our products is it's once a day it's a very small amount and it stays where it's meant to be and it works really well so that's our, our per, we have a per, it's a it's a vaginal moisturizer that was mm -hmm. cleared by the FDA and then we also want to make sure that outside of the vagina because we also have tissues that are outside the vagina and the surrounding tissues can also get dry and they can burn and they can itch. And so we also wanted to be sure that we developed the same type of product for external use. So for those, those tissues outside the area. And we have a couple of other secrets that we're, uh, we're working on that oh, nice. uh, we hope to launch very soon. Uh, but those are the, the, we have three products that are available now um, for women who have um, vaginal dryness and vulvar dryness and their moisturizers, intimate skin moisturizer and a personal lubricant and moisturizer. And will they be coming to Canada anytime soon? <laughs> yeah, um, we, we have, um, we have, different entities that we're working with um, across the pond. Um, and obviously you guys are just just a stone's throw away. In case. Yes, right. we can know. drive right down and get them. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, you can check out our website and um, you know, certainly, um, you know, if there is an opportunity for you to acquire these products, you know, we be more than happy for you to try them. We just mm -hmm. introduced something called a trial pack which gives women the opportunity to actually purchase a small amount of product and experience the difference in our products. Okay, Those that right there shows you that a woman developed this because <laughs> we are like, we all go through a different experience with menopause. We all respond differently to different drugs, to different treatments. Like there's no one size fits all, but yet when you look at products out there, you have to commit to a certain size of product or a certain dosage. But I love that you're doing that because, you know, Ramona and I could try and have a very different experience. And if it's a trial size, it's, it's no big investment. It's not a big commitment. And it's a great opportunity to, to do that trial. We see that women, uh, we want to give women the opportunity to experience the difference. The trial pack is an opportunity for them to do that. So they're not, to your point, they're not going to commit significant amount of resources mm -hmm. and what we have seen is that once you try it it really becomes the mainstay of what you do so what we what we see is like anything else right it's skin right mm -hmm. it's been on a different part of your body it happens to be below the waist mm -hmm. you you really need in, in order to keep it intact and to prevent things from really getting worse because what happens is every over time if you don't moisturize your intimate skin, it just continues to get worse and worse. No different than your face, right? Yes. Yeah. We all moisturize our facial skin. We, we cleanse it. Now, the vagina and the vulva are different. You want to be careful about how you take care of those parts. So you don't want to use soap. You don't want to use any perfumes. When people say, well, I want to, you know, I want to use a perfumed something for my vagina. I go, no, do not do that. You don't right. perfume your vagina. Unlike what people, <laughs> well, I should say what men want women to believe. That's right. Stinky yes. vagina means something different. Stinky vagina might mean that you have an infection. It may mean that you need to see a, a doctor. It's, 
not supposed to be perfumed. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, but we we do know that you need to moisturize and you need to moisturize daily and you should start moisturizing when you're in perimenopause. Oh. And why is that? Occasional period. Well, if you if you think about it, as you as you decline in estrogen, what you want to do is you want to stay on top of the issue so that mm -hmm. you don't end up with vaginal dryness that is so severe that your vagina actually collapses on itself, something called stenosis. Oh, great. Um, Another thing to worry about. <laughs> well, <laughs> not every woman will develop stenosis, but you want to keep the space open. It's just like, you know, when you think about your arteries, right? You want to, you want to keep them open so things continue to flow. Mm -hmm. If your vagina gets really, really dry, if you avoid intercourse, if you avoid any sort of penetration, um, it, it, it can get significantly worse to the point where it may collapse. And it, it becomes, um, the collapse is so severe that you can't even get a finger into the space. So, wow. so that precludes the possibility of intimacy. Mm -hmm. And that's why women will often, when they go to their doctors, um, even though they may be experiencing burning, when they start to um, have problems with intimacy, when they have pain, that's when they go to the doctor because their sex life flatlines. And they, right. when they walk into the doctor's office and they start to describe this, you know, I can't have intercourse, I have this pain whenever I attempt intercourse, it becomes pretty obvious to their gynecologist that the reason they're having pain is because the opening to the vagina has become so narrow. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's, you know, then they also see issues regarding like tearing. Mm -hmm. um, they might see some uh, erosions that, that are, you know, taking place. So you really want to stay ahead of this. You want to be able to moisturize every single day and you want to do external plus internal. Now, if you, you know, start to experience symptom relief, right, mm -hmm. then you could potentially use the products less often but you don't want to stop using them. Jerry, mm -hmm. do you think the medical community has, um, like, is knowledgeable enough and is supportive enough around menopausal symptoms? Like, I think both Jack and I have felt like, you know, we were kind of bumbling around trying to figure stuff out and no one seemed to have any definitive answers for us. How do you feel about, the way that doctors perceive menopause nowadays and is it getting better it's definitely getting better um, we work with a number of um scientific advisory board members who, have, who just happen to be women um and they will they will be very forthcoming about the fact that they didn't really get much training in medical school or even in their residencies about what to, how to handle these types of questions and concerns and for younger, for younger practitioners, it is improving because they know that this is a serious quality of life issue for women. And so they are more willing to engage in the conversation and initiate discussion around how, how are things, right? I mean, you may, if you're a gynecologist, you may do a pelvic and you may see signs. And, and we always say that um, gynecologists when they see those signs should really start the, the discussion and do a checklist, if you will, 
almost a quiz to assess uh -huh. some of those other issues, right? Do you have frequency, right? Which means do you have to go to the bathroom a lot? Do you have burning? Do you have itching? Could be overactive bladder, but not necessarily because these genitourinary symptoms of menopause uh -huh. can look a lot like overactive bladder, but in fact, what they really are is the decline in estrogen that affects not just the vaginal and vulvar tissues, but the urinary tract. And that's why the name was changed. We used to call it vulvar and vaginal dryness or vulvar and vaginal atrophy. Uh -huh. And now the more appropriate way to describe it is genitourinary syndrome of right. menopause. And so we've, we have come a long way in the last decade and physicians have started to make progress. I will say that um, many of the gynecologists I know that see cancer and Sjogren's patients, we, we do, I have affiliations with um, Living Beyond Breast Cancer and also with the Sjogren's Foundation. And those physicians that are associated with those two organizations are very sensitive to these issues. Um, and they are probably some of the most progressive um, gynecologists and um, allied health professionals that we've met. Wow. This is, um, this is really hopeful and encouraging to hear because, like I said, and I know that, you know, things are a little different in the U.S. and in Canada, but I, I do feel like Ramona and I are a very common story up here where we kind of get stonewalled by our GP. Um, sometimes they just sort of blow it off as it is what it is. And other times I think maybe they just don't know where to send us or refer us. So we sort of sit and stew with our symptoms. And, um, and we both Ramona and I have had, you know, some serious issues that have come from not, not coping, not dealing and not knowing what to do. So now we're sort of backpedaling and, you know, trying to fix things. And we think it's really important, as I said earlier, that women know this, during perimenopause, before they hit menopause, because what you're saying about the moisturizing, I didn't know that. Like, this is the first time I've ever heard that. I, I was on a hike a few months ago, and someone told me, a woman, um, that you should never use soap to wash your vagina. I'm 52. I had never I told heard you that. that. <laughs> okay, maybe you told me that. Were you hiking with me? Uh, I have memory loss, too. I can't remember. <laughs> but these are things that. Like, I'm blown away when I hear these things. Ramona, maybe the first time you heard that, you were blown away. But yeah. it's not how our mothers raised us. I mean, oh, my God, my daughter's in the shower, and I'm telling her to clean her parts. Now I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I <laughs> doing to her? I don't even know what to do anymore. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely true. Um, and as I said, when, when, um, when I shared with you the experiences that I had in Big Pharma and the the individuals that are sitting around the table. Um, these were trained gynecologists who had joined the pharmaceutical industry, right? So they left their practices, but they joined the pharmaceutical industry to become basically drug developers. And mm -hmm. their lack of knowledge is a little overwhelming. And it was, and now that I reflect on it, it was actually frightening. Yeah. So depending upon the, the age and the gender. Now more and more of the gynecology community is dominated by women. So we see probably 80% of those individuals that are practicing in the United States 
happen to be women, many and many of the healthcare practitioners that really are sensitive to these issues are also nurse practitioners. Mm -hmm. So we have we have had great success with nurse practitioners who are on the front lines, um, and again, dominated by women. So women having conversations. I, you know, I experience the problems differently than the two of you experience the problems. But I have a sensitive gynecologist. I have a sensitive nurse practitioner. Um, when I think about the medical advisors that we work with today, they are too. They are probably so well informed about these issues that it is refreshing. And you're right, you probably are stonewalled by, stonewalled by your GP, right? Because they're dismissing you as, okay, well, you're, you're 50, what do you want me to do for you? If you yeah. want replacement therapy, I can give you hormone replacement therapy. Otherwise, go to the drugstore and pick something up on the pharmacy shelf. Um, or if they want to get really aggressive, they'll say, go to somebody and have a procedure because we can laser you. Yeah, and, yeah that's what I was told. Yeah. and And... Again, we don't, we don't indict any option. If it's an option that works for you, then you should pursue it. Mm -hmm. However, the approach that most of the gynecologists that we have interfaced with will advocate for is the most benign way in which to start with the most benign option mm -hmm. and then progress. And that makes sense with anything, right? Yeah. So if yeah. you can, if you you can take an Advil and get and relieve your cramps if you happen to have menstrual cramps. That's awesome. If you can use a, something warm on your abdomen, that's probably even better. Right. So you want to you want to start with the most benign option possible, and and the same thing pertains to your menopausal symptoms. Mm -hmm. So you know, starting with if you're if you sleep. You know, having issues with sleep, you don't start with a sleep medication that's prescription because we know it's addictive. So, that's right. yeah. So maybe you need to adjust your sleep ha habits. Yeah. Maybe you need to take something that's more natural, right? And, and there are a variety of different ways in which to address those types of issues without necessarily using a prescription product. And I'm a, and I'm a drug developer. I mean, I, you yeah. know, that's how I began my career. And, and, you know, we still have a sister company that focuses on prescription medication, but we believe that options are important. And Absolutely. And, and, you know, at some point, we all need to take some sort of prescription medication Absolutely. and, and those options need to be available Absolutely. to us. I mean, you mean like medicine saved my life, you know what I mean? So we, we definitely do talk a lot about trying to go the natural route on the podcast as much as possible before you do need to put other medicines in your body or other, mm -hmm. other, um, things that might be maybe a little bit more higher risk than what you're prepared to do. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer, but one more question. I'm curious to hear about what your thoughts are about future trends in this particular industry as we look towards, you know, the conversations that seem to be growing now in, in this field and in other um, women's health issues. Is there any, what, what could we look forward to? So I, I obviously there there is um, there are a large number of companies that are getting into the menopause space um, yeah. and 
some of the products are pretty much, you know, they're, you know, you find different brand names on them, but they, they tend to all look the same. I think you're going to see some uh, interesting natural products coming into play. Um, and one of the natural products that you're, you're likely to see is probably the emergence of where um, cannabis plays a role yeah. in, uh, in women's health care. Um, we need some really good research um, in that area. But there are some distinct benefits um, that can be derived from products that contain both CBD and a little THC. They're not psychoactive, and depending upon the how they are administered, they can ameliorate a variety of different symptoms. So we haven't begun to harness that power yet. We haven't done uh, rigorous clinical trials um, or clinical trials, period. There's only one company um, that has actually gotten an approval on a product um, and it's for a form of epilepsy. But in terms of women's health, I think that's the next frontier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we yeah, definitely I, both explored with the cannabis um, CBD and THC. Yeah. I use it in a gel tablet form for sleep, and um, and like tried edibles, you know, um, just during the day to help take the edge off, especially during this pandemic. But the one thing <laughs> that um, we've noticed, and I've noticed even recently, is. Um, you know, let's go back to the pandemic. There's a lot of anxiety right now, but anxiety is also a symptom of menopause and yeah. um, cannabis can really help with that and CBD can really help with that. However, when I spoke to a doctor about an anti-anxiety medication, they told me it was in my file that I had been using the CBD and THC. And they told me, suggested that my anxiety was a result of the cannabis because cannabis can... Um, increase anxiety which is sort of counterproductive to the fact that when you take cbd and thc you feel calm and you go to sleep um so the information right now is quite confusing and we've done so much research ramona and i into cannabis um in a previous life before she 2.0 so we're very i think we're both very confident in using it and um considering it um an aid for menopause but if you're somebody who is new to it and you're exploring your options for menopause and you hear something like that, that would be very off-putting and very hard to change someone's opinion about that afterwards. There is, you know, obviously we know that, you know, with the availability of medical marijuana, that, um, that there is a little bit better information and ways in which um, you, can, you can learn more about that by working with um, those that are in dispensaries and so forth. In terms of the, the industry as a whole, we need to work with the U.S. In, in our case, we need to work closely with the U.S. FDA mm-hmm. so that we can actually harness the potential in a way that um, we can look at different strains, look at different re- ways in which to administer different doses and dosage forms. And that will take some of the guesswork out of it because at this juncture, there is a lot of guesswork. So mm-hmm. with that lack of knowledge, it's not surprising that you would have had that sort of um, recommendation or uh, n- that you wouldn't have had some sort of endorsement, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Providing you a benefit. Um, there is a 
there is a group um, that's in the United States, a fairly large group that works with a number of companies um, to in fact uh, work towards getting these products uh, cleared, approved, whatever the necessary regulatory hurdles are. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think if we spend a little bit more time in this area, we would harness the potential of um, a great natural resource. So that's, that's at least one, one woman's view of where things are progressing in the yeah, area. Yeah, we very much agree with you. So we yeah. hope that maybe Sam Pharma will get into the uh, cannabis space next. Maybe yeah. that's one of the mysteries coming up. <laughs> Jerry, well, this has you, been... Jerry. This has been such an eye-opening conversation, I think, for both of us. Um, you've, you've kind of reaffirmed some of the things we suspected, uh, especially that boardroom scenario. I think we kind of envisioned it going down that way, to be honest. Um, but it was really insightful to hear, you know, more about the research, the product development. It's like, I personally feel like it's very hopeful um, you know, if Fem Farm is able to do this, like let's hope that we'll see more and more products on the market that are targeting women with real research, real active ingredients that will really help us through all of this because we don't think menopause has to suck and obviously you don't think it does. So <laughs> I've been in menopause so and it's really it it's it is easily managed. And you know, when I when I hear people say Oh, you know, we, you know, it's kind of a disability. It's not a disability. It's only Whoa. a disability. We'll allow it to be a disability, right? Yeah. Days right. of life was, you know, menstruation's not a disability either. Neither is pregnancy. And so I put menopause right up there. Just yeah, another right. day of life. Perceptions okay. are changing. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us, Jerry. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs>